Good morning. I'm glad to be outside too. And I had the benefit of the sun right there. So I think most of you are in it. Uh, I'm in the shade. I think I'm going to, we'll, we'll see. Um, we're continuing uh, talking about the reason for your hope, right? From First uh, Peter 3.15, uh, Peter said, always be prepared to give a reason, a justification, a defense, an apology in the classical sense for the hope that you have. And even before people start studying the Bible, it makes sense. So real, I'm going to talk about that today. Why does it make sense to trust God, to put your faith and your hope in him? Through God's revelation of himself, through his creation and an understanding of the goodness that God has given us through common grace, we can see Faith makes sense. Paul writing the church in Rome, the first chapter, he said it this way, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. If what can be known about God is plain to them, and if his attributes can be clearly perceived, then why don't people, I guess, in reality, see it, right? Everybody doesn't see it, even though... It's plain and clear. Well, Paul answered that as well. He said, for the word of the cross is folly to those that are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. It really does mean that, that until you come to an understanding of who God is with the guidance of the Holy Spirit, that the things of the church, the things of God's word, that the, the power of the cross is foolish is the word. And that means that there are going to be people that don't have the same understanding of the exact same thing you know to be true, that when they hear it, they'll look at it and go, nah, I don't see it. You're like, but it's right there. It's so plain. It's so clear. It's obvious. How can you not see it? And they, they can't. It's not even possible for them until God starts to work in their life. And once he does, and the Holy Spirit makes things clear, then they go, oh man, how did I miss that? Now, I don't know about you guys. Maybe maybe you guys are the ones you grew up going to church or something. I didn't. And so my whole life, till I was in college, and I first heard the gospel and made a decision to, to follow him, this was very much me. I would have told you. In fact, I did tell people, why waste your time Sunday morning going to church? Why would you do that? What's the point? Why do you believe in that ancient book that means nothing? And I would repeat things that people had said about Christianity and faith and God 
things like, you know, the Bible, there's so many errors in it. Why would you believe that? And if someone had asked me, no one ever did. But if someone had asked me, really, there's errors? I'd like to know. Can you point out one? I would have said, um, no, but I know there's errors. And the reason I would have said that is because I had no idea and hadn't read it. But I was repeating something I had heard someone else say. And so it should be obvious. It's plain. It says they're without excuse. But we know that it is also folly to those who don't yet believe. Yet the Bible doesn't teach you need to believe in God because God is real. There's, there's never an argument for the existence of God in scripture. There's, there's the story of what he's doing. There's the historical account, but it's not, let me convince you because there's this assumption in scripture that obviously God is real. Obviously he's at work. Obviously he's doing something on our behalf. And so there's this idea that because of that, we don't have to, to defend it. The reason scripture doesn't argue the existence of God is because God has made himself known to all mankind. Theologians call this uh, revelation. And it's broken into two categories, general revelation and special revelation. Special revelation is uh, kind of the signs and wonders, miraculous things that God does in our life, scripture, and then Jesus himself. General revelation is, is how he has made himself known throughout all of human history. It's the disclosure of God in nature, in providential history, in the moral law, within the heart, whether all persons at all times and places gain a rudimentary understanding of the creator and his moral demands. One of the the, the, the truly great uh, arguments... For God, as a creator, is creation itself. In Psalm 19, starting in verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Right? That... That creation itself is saying, look, there is a creator. How could that not be true when you look at creation? And it's not just creation. It's, it's human history. It's God's providence and the experience of, of people. God's dealing with the nations through, through that history. And I already mentioned it, human uh, conscious understanding of moral truth. I want to focus on two areas today. I I think these might be interesting to you. These two areas of general revelation, they're really specific and almost kind of technical, but we're not going to go real deep into it because we don't have a lot of time. Nope. No, uh, uh, no homework for you guys, unless you wanted to investigate further. But these two areas, they're, they're called fine-tuning and then the cosmological argument, right? That if we're going to pe- be people that are going to always have a reason for the hope that we have, 
We need to be able to look around and say, look, even before you understand that God's word is, is true, the Bible is his very revelation to us. When you look at creation, you can't help but see God at work. And so there's, uh, there's several aspects, but uh, in terms of fine-tuning, uh, maybe some names that are, you're, you're familiar with. I'll, I'll start off with uh, Hugh Ross is a Canadian astrophysicist, Christian apologetist. And uh, he said there's innumerable conditions that must be exquisitely optimized for the support of humanity and of civilization. Many of them are highly time variable, evidence showing that a wide variety of independent conditions all reached uh, optimality during the identical narrow epoch of human beings appeared in the cosmic and terrestrial scene testifies supernatural design and purpose rather than mere coincidence. It's not just by chance that everything worked out the way it did. So that, that first one, the universe is finely tuned for life. What does that mean, right? That it, it's characterized the, the sensitive dependencies of facts of properties and the values of certain parameters that specifically for, for life to appear in the universe. According to many physicists, the fact that the universe is able to support life depends delicately on various of its fundamental characteristics, notably the form of the laws of nature. Uh, on those values, the, the, the constants that, that we rely on, and on aspects of the universe condition in its very early stages and to now. And there's lots of examples. If you were in one of my classes and your uh, faith integration assignment was coming up, I would make you uh, list several of them. But I'm just going to mention the strength of gravity. The strength of gravity uh, measured against the strength of electromagnetism is finely tuned for life. If gravity had been absent or substantially weaker, galaxies, stars, and planets would have not have formed in the first place. Had it been only slightly weaker uh, and or electromagnetism slightly stronger, main sequence stars such as the sun would have been significantly colder and would not have exploded into supernovae, which are the main source of heavier elements. If, in contrast, gravity had been slightly stronger, stars would have formed from smaller amounts of material, which would have meant that inasmuch as still stable, they would have been much smaller and more short-lived. Basically, what all of that amounts to is that the, the sun itself and the galaxies in general had to be exactly the right size and age and go through the right process in order for there to be life on this planet. And you might go, well, wait a minute. Uh, why is that dependent on creation if, if, if God created this relatively recent? And my, my answer would, would most certainly be different than Hugh Ross's argument. My answer would be because God, when he 
told the story of, of creation, he created the backstory that goes along with it. And just like any great author, he didn't just start off uh, in the first chapter in his mind. He knows everything that went on before that. And so I think that's a big uh, reason why the creation looks the way it does. It seems older than scripture might seem to indicate. Because of that, because creation is so finely tuned for human life, it is appropriate for us. Jesus, when he was talking to the disciples in Matthew 10, he says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs on your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more of more value than many sparrows. Now I bring up that passage because God didn't just create and let it go and let it run. In fact, according to scripture, he's at work to this very day, as Jesus says, right? My father is at work to this very day and I too am working. Since we're talking about giving an apology, it's a good idea to know that there are refutations to fine tuning, right? I just mentioned uh, gravity, but you could literally go through a very large list of things that are finely tuned uh, in our universe. And so there are some refutations to that. Uh, The first one is called the anthropic principle. And it sounds silly once you say it, but basically it's, we're here to observe creation and therefore everything worked out. That's their answer. So basically dismissing creation at all and dismissing God. And since we're here, obviously, uh, it just worked out that way. And then another argument against fine tuning is that the universe is actually not very friendly to life. And there's a reason we don't find life everywhere. Uh, I would argue that that is precisely the reason that we have trust in God, that, that you can't live outside of a very narrow band of parameters. And God put those together for us. That's why we're here. And it's not by chance or accident. A cosmological argument claims that the existence of everything depends on something else for its existence. And so the way the reasoning goes, this is number two, by the way, uh, everything that begins to exist has a cause. The universe began, therefore the universe has a cause for its existence. And that should seem fairly logical. It uses a logical syllogism. William Lane Craig who's a a Christian apologist, uh, philosopher, uh, and author from uh, most recently uh, Talbot Seminary, says, since the universe has a cause, then an uncaused creator of the universe exists. He is beginningless, changeless, immaterial, timeless, spaceless, and enormously powerful. There's no way around it. There has to be a causer that caused the beginning. 
In Colossians 1.17, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Not only did he cause it, but he holds it together that it would still be. And from general revelation, you cannot help but see that God is, exists. It's why throughout human history, people, even before an understanding of scripture, people have had this idea, well, there obviously is a God. There's no way around it. But we need the specifics of the Bible. We need a savior. As Job said, I know that my redeemer lives and at the last he will stand upon the earth. This was Obviously, way before the time of Jesus, but he understood his need for a redeemer and that he would walk on the earth. Job understood that we need Jesus. When Peter and John stood before the temple council, after being told, you can't keep talking about him, knock it off. Peter said, in fact, scripture, it says being filled by the Holy Spirit. Here's what he said. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There's no way around it. So it's not enough just to have this general understanding that, well, obviously there's a God. I'm okay with that. But, but Jesus, I don't think so. No, there's, there's no way around it according to scripture. It's not enough just to say, well, Jesus was a good teacher. He was, he was, you know, a really good guy, right? They called him rabbi. So that must mean he was teaching something good. And so he's a moral teacher. It's not enough. We actually need a savior who died on the cross. And so God is not a nameless, faceless creator, but a loving, personal Savior God. I mentioned this, uh, these verses last week, Psalm 139, 13 and 14. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. That's the God who created that, that you go back to and you look at all the things that he created and worked everything together so that we would have this world to live in. That's the same God who has the hairs on our head counted, who has keeps track of the birds in the sky and they don't fall to the ground apart from his will. He's a personal savior. He didn't just sacrifice himself for all of us. He sacrificed himself for each one of us. And that's why Paul's response is so personal. In Galatians 2.20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the light that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. In the son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. That because of what he did for me on the cross, I then move forward in my life living 
for him. Number four, since God exists, we need to ask, what does he expect from us? It doesn't make sense otherwise. It it kind of looks like this. You're driving down the highway and you notice in your rear view mirror that there's a highway patrol officer behind you. His lights go on. You see him. You notice he's there. But you choose to ignore him. If you choose to ignore him very long, in fact, very quickly, things are going to go much worse for you. You know, I don't really believe he has the authority to pull me over. I don't really believe that he's going to judge me. I'm a pretty good guy. I might have been going a little fast, but I'm not going as fast as other people often drive on this road. He wouldn't really hold me accountable for what I just did, would he? If he really cares about me, he would just let me go. You see, it doesn't make any sense to ignore the flashing lights on the freeway. In fact, if he's there and he's trying to get my attention, what makes the most sense is I ought to pull over and find out what he wants. And since God is there, we have a responsibility to say, okay, God, what is it you expect of me? And I have to say that when I was a young person first hearing the gospel for the first time, this terrified me. Because I had a realization that that for the first 19 years of my life, I live my life any way I wanted. And I never stopped to ask, okay, God, what do you want from me? Thankfully, I found out that he was a merciful God. That he knew exactly what I had been doing. And that was why he got my attention. I'm so grateful. So what is it? What is it that God expects from you? Well, first of all, he expects you to do better, to do good. As Micah 6, 8 says, he's told you, oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. He has an expectation that you're going to do better than you've done before. Kind of the way I think about it is, is that there's, there's no expectation you're going to be perfect. But that you will do better tomorrow than you did yesterday. And I'm so grateful that I did better this year than I did three years ago. Looking back three years ago, it was rough compared to this year. And I have hope that I will do so much better. I will walk closer with the Lord. I will honor him with my relationships. I will, I will represent him in my community. I will serve my church better in five years than I'm doing this year because he's not content that I stay like this. He's gonna continue to grow me in the likeness of Christ. He expects you to do good. Ephesians 2, 8 
through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing, it is a gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He created you to do good works. Now, let's be clear. By doing those good works, you won't be saved. You don't do the good work, get credit, turn in your receipts to get reimbursed. It's not how it works. In fact, the payment for your salvation was already paid in Christ. That's what he did on the cross. That's what we're getting ready to celebrate in addition to every day, but we're getting ready to celebrate here in a couple of weeks on Good Friday, recognizing that he went to the cross willingly, that our sins would be on him. He became sin in our place that we then wouldn't die as punishment for our own sin. And so by doing good works, I'm not earning anything. It's already paid for. Then why do I do anything good? I do it out of gratitude, out of appreciation, out of celebration, the way to honor him and thank him. We're to do good. And then uh, what kind of good are we to do? We're to do the thing that you are commissioned to do. Matthew 28 19 and 20, Jesus said to the church, and I believe to every believer, he said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You were saved. God Spirit worked in your life that you would learn the things of the cross and it would no longer be foolish so that you might believe and be saved and then make more disciples. Tell people how to get saved. Tell people what it means to follow the Lord. Tell them why he created all of this to make disciples. It's one of the reasons why I'm always encouraged when I hear there's a discovering church membership class and there's baptisms coming up. This is what the church is about. As much as there's so many other things that go on in church that are really helpful, really important, right? The fellowship, the ladies later, all of those things, these are good things. But we're to be making disciples seeking how to get on the team and and serve the Lord better, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So this time of year is really the time when you take that opportunity to make disciples. If you're new to this and you don't know how to do it, start off 
by just offering hope. Last week, what we talked about, God loved you. That's enough. Uh, I found that when I didn't know what to say and how best to share about Jesus, the thing that worked like every time was to offer to pray. Wow, that's really tough. What you're going through, can I pray for you? I don't know that I have ever had someone tell me, no, don't pray for me. I've talked to atheists and they're like, sure, go ahead. Now, I always follow up, can I pray for you right now? Okay, I've had a few people that go, no, I'd rather not do that right now. But even then, most people say, yes, please. You can pray for me right here, right now. The middle of the grocery store. I learned that from my wife. Because if you're like me, when I go home, I'll forget. Yeah, if I don't write it down, I won't remember. Don't miss the opportunities that God has provided to let people know that he loves them. He wants to work in their life because he cares. I have some next steps here for you. First of all, my next step today is to trust the Lord made the universe, the earth, and me for a purpose. This gives me hope. It gives me hope to know he created all of this and not by accident. If it was by accident, it wouldn't be here. Second, my next step today is to commit to do the good work for which I was made. And let's just be honest, that's to make disciples. I have to commit to that. I have to look for opportunities to talk about Jesus. I need to look for opportunities to tell people what I know. And it might be hard. It might be a challenge. You might have to really figure out how can I do it in in this class, in this job, in my neighborhood, with the, you know, that group of friends. How am I going to tell them I'm a Christian? How am I going to tell them what it means to go to church? What it means to trust God? How am I going to do that? And, and as much as I'd like to say, here you go, here's five steps, try this, it'll always work. That's just not reality. Reality is boldness. Speaking the truth in love, letting people know that you care. And then number three, my next step today is to utilize the time of year and share about the meaning of Easter. Always, right? Take the opportunity that you have because you have a better opportunity now than you have any other time of year. People are willing. As uh, one gentleman was saying today, what else are you going to do? It's Easter, right? So let people know, come on, you might as well. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we, we are grateful. We're grateful that you made the universe in such a way as we have a place to live. That apart from your will, your divine hand at work wouldn't even be here. There's no way. And so because of that, we get to be here. We get to be your children. We get to be called children of God. 
Father, I pray that we have a, 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 just a beginning, a little bit better understanding. There are so many uh, opportunities we have to do good, to represent you, to love our neighbor as ourselves. As we celebrate you, help us to do that. To use the opportunities we have over the next few weeks, preparation for Easter, to let people know what you've done, that you're still at work and you still love them. And Father, I do pray over really over the next few weeks as we're preparing for Easter, that you give us an opportunity to share those words and you uh, really give us a platform, you soften their hearts that they would hear, that you would draw them to yourself, that they would be willing to listen. And that the obstacles that come up in the way when someone's uh, maybe first going to church, that you would level those, you would remove them, that there would be no excuse and that we get to celebrate with them the resurrection. We thank you for Jesus. His name we pray, amen.